What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Seven Figure Flipping Podcast. This is Bill Allen. Today, I interview a really good friend of mine, Aaron Norris, and you may recognize him. He is the son of Bruce Norris. Bruce was on the show a couple of years ago when we talked about um, what's going to happen through real estate in the pandemic. And uh, today, I've got Aaron on the show, who's data driven, um, analytic, analytical. He is an amazing guy, like absolutely amazing. This is one of my favorite shows that I've ever recorded, and you're not going to want to miss it. So, we're going to talk about the state of the market, what's going on, where he thinks we're going, where are some areas that of opportunity that you should be thinking about. Um, Absolute magical show that's going to get you thinking differently about what's happening right now in the marketplace. So this is a must listen. Do not change a channel. And uh, we'll be back with Aaron Norris right after I roll the theme music really quickly. My name is Bill Allen, and I'm the leader of a group of elite house flippers and wholesalers called Seven Figure Flipping. We don't brag or show off our success, but instead let integrity and stewardship be our guide. We are dedicated to helping people unlock the freedom they desperately need. If you ask other real estate investors, they will say to keep your secrets quiet. But we believe in abundance, not scarcity, and that's why we are the elite. We are Seven Figure Flipping, and this podcast is our playbook. Everybody, we are back in this series of um, shows that we're doing on the market. Like, what's the state of the market? What should we be thinking about? What should we be looking at? Um, we've recently done a show with a, uh, a mortgage lender. If you guys haven't heard that one, go back and listen. I talked about some of the reasons why I've been selling off some rental properties and what I've been doing with the money, some of that stuff, um, and some shows on where I think it's going. Um, but I'm bringing in some experts. We're talking through... Um, what do we think is going to happen here? And, and where are we in a, in a cycle? Because a lot of you are asking that question. So I just wanted to come after it and answer it and bring in some of my friends. So um, I've gotten to know my guest over the past few years. It's been really amazing to get to know him. We had his uh, dad on the podcast, uh, Bruce Norris, um, a few years ago in the, in the heat of COVID. And probably one of the best shows that we've done. And if you go back and listen to that, you'd be like, you know what? I should have listened to that and 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 executed on everything that Bruce said because he was pretty much dead on, right? So, um, so I wanted to bring Aaron Norris on the show today and, uh, and just kind of talk through some of the, where we're at in the cycle. And I don't know where we're gonna go, but I know that these guys are amazing on uh, data analytics and looking at that and, and using it um, to their advantage in their business and also talking about it out, outside of their business to everybody else and whoever will listen. So if you're listening to this show, um, you're lucky because you get the opportunity to listen to Aaron Norris today. So Aaron, thanks for being on the show. Fantastic to be here. What, uh, can you give everybody like a little background of who you are if they have no idea who you are, they didn't listen to the show with your dad, they don't know anything about the Norris Group, any of that stuff? Sure, sure. So I started flipping houses with dad when I was five years old. Uh, I often say for peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, I was the kid with the uh, vacuum sucking up cockroaches as he was peeling off the carpet. Um, uh, but I grew up and I wasn't in real estate at all. I was in the professional arts. So I lived in New York City for seven years and um, I was a gymnast and I ended up getting hurt hurt quite a bit and I fell into a Wall Street gig doing acquisition and merger presentations and I really enjoyed it. Um, Fell into marketing and PR in New York City and then my mom got cancer and I ended up coming back to California um, in 04. Um, It was great timing. I ended up in the construction industry, uh, ended up in the architectural lighting industry. I fell in love with that too. And uh, I was about to go back to a Wall Street company in 05 and I had a really terrible second interview a really weird one and my dad's like why don't you come work for me i'm working on this report called the california crash and uh i want all my investors to get out of california and i need to create a book and boy was it a book it was 400 pages over 800 charts that he and i created together of 
exactly a blueprint of why we were doing what we were doing and what states to go into that were typically counter cyclical from California when the market crashed. So um, he predicted an increase in a thousand percent in foreclosures and prices that would decrease by half in the report. And that's exactly what happened in California. So, and the rest is history. Um, he and I have been working together at the Norris Group. We do hard money in California and Florida. We do build the rent in Florida. Um, obviously, trustee investing. We used to flip hundreds of houses every year uh, in California, but my brother has since retired. But so, we're just always going with the flow. <laughs> so, it wasn't just that report that um, that he nailed. Can you give some background on like what, what happened on top of that? Sure. 97, what put him on the map was a, a, a report called the California Comeback. And, and in 97, it was sort of weird because everybody hated real estate. And he, he basically said in the report, if we can do a sub 10% interest rate, um, prices would increase a double in price. And at the time, nobody wanted to hear it because everybody just hated real estate. And sure enough, it happened. And then uh, California Crash was his, his sort of his big report um, the second time he called it. And then uh, we just we do subsequent timing reports every couple years i think another big one was the all in our fold in 2012 where we told people like it's time to go all in like buy as many as you can um so he is responsible for helping me and many other investors completely become millionaires because of market timing and what's very unique about the education that we do is that we really incorporate the the concept of market timing into what we train so not all strategies are appropriate for any specific time you know, you take a guru off the TV, some of their seminars today, try, trying to make REOs happen, <laughs> trying to train people on REOs. And we're like, it is just not the time you're going to hit your head up against the wall and you're not going to get inventory this way. So, you know, we can talk about opportunity zones and um, upzoning and adding value, square footage, things like that. But yeah, anyway, all timing driven. So I think we, we probably agree on the fact that um, as, as an investor, it's really important to look at the holistic picture and you can make money in any market, up market, down markets, flat market, whatever. You can make money. You just need to know how. Is that right? Correct. It, it just really depends on where the deals are going to come from. Um, in 06, we were telling everybody, hey, get wave for foreclosures, short sales, auctions. We know it's been a long time since you've utilized a skill set. It's very different from working with people with equity. So, you know, you were knocking on doors from 2006 to 2012 with people who just did not want to hear their home was worth 50% of what it was worth at the peak. Um, and they really didn't have any options. There, there was no equity. <laughs> so uh, that was a really frustrating experience. So you don't chase those in, in California. But, you know, every state is different, too. I think that's what's unique. You know, we've really backed into California and the concepts we've created here does carry over to other states. But other states have very different cycles. California is very hot and cold. It's a wild ride where states like Oklahoma, Texas, they just don't do what California does. Yep, it's it's very hyper local. I find with real estate, we talked oh, about yeah. it recently, and I will just continue to bang that drum. So, th I think the thing that I, I've been trying to do a lot more lately is just let pe figure out how to educate people so they can think for themselves, instead mm -hmm. of like, oh, this person told me to do this, so I'm just doing it. Like, I'd much rather you understand why you're doing what you're doing and get some a little bit of education from different areas. Maybe it's charts. Maybe it's where to look. Maybe it's if this happens, then you should consider this. But a lot of it is just understanding that and being able to um, to take all this information and make a decision. Right. And, and, and then stick with the strategy potentially or adjust as needed. So sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah. 
And a lot of this is to who you are. Um, I, I bring this up a lot. And when I was working for Property Radar, they had the analogy of the chocolate versus the peanut butter. And when they come together, it's magic. The peanut butter is the data and the chocolate is who you bring to the business. If, if you're an introvert and I start talking to you about door knocking, you're going to die a little bit inside. You know, it, it's OK to be an introvert with no time and a full time job. There's a strategy, but let's just be really honest about what you bring to the business. And once we're really clear on that, we'll plug you into a strategy that makes sense. But not all of them are going to make sense for you. But they're, luckily, there's only there's what over 25 different ways to buy real estate. There is a way in. You just got to be really honest with who you bring to the party and match it with market timing and the strategies that work. You just nailed that because uh, so I just taught a class on hiring. Right. And knowing yourself, your, your strengths, your weaknesses, um, everything, like where the opportunities lie and all that and and know kind of who you need to pair yourself up with in order to kind of grow your business from a hiring standpoint. It's the same goes for exactly what you just talked about. If I got to be involved and you want me to talk on the phone all day, I'm just not your guy. Like if I have to cold call people, <laughs> I am not interested. But if I can like, send you a letter or a postcard or a paper click ad or drive you somewhere and then you talk to somebody that that works for me and then maybe you talk for me. Me, talk with me and I know that I'm going in to win the deal to go for the I can go do sales like that you know but the small talk talking about your family and your dogs and your cats and all that stuff it's just it's just I know myself too well to know that I'm not going to win in that environment and, and maybe in the short term but not in the long term so um, I think that's that's where people get lost too. you know they start going to a real estate investor club and every month there's like a new strategy thrown at them and buy this course run to the back of the room sign up for my boot camp and they just get so inundated with strategies and they just don't realize slow down. Who are you? Who you? Who do you bring to the party? What do you want your life to look like? Because you know it's personality type. It's how much money you have. It's how much time you have to be in the business. How much real estate experience? And what your background is? I've I used to do something called the investor roadmap with people where I would ask them those four questions and then talk to them about their background. And it was really fun to come up with strategies for people very experienced investors too. Sometimes your cheese has just moved and what you used to do isn't working anymore. Like, okay, well, let's reassess. Let's back up. What do you bring to the party? And we don't want to do these strategies. Well, here's what will work for you right now. Love that. Yep. But you do think that everybody should buy my course, right? Absolutely. Okay. All right. Just making sure. All right. <laughs> uh, you have your crystal ball. Like you have your crystal ball with you because I want to go into where you think we're going and and why that is. So hopefully it doesn't have any cracks in it. It's polished up really nicely, and you know exactly <laughs> where we're going in the next you know six months, one year, three years, five years. So, um, what's going on right now in the market, and, and what do you see, and maybe some of the things that you guys are doing. Yeah, I listen. I I work with the media quite a bit, and I, for the last two years. Every week I see one headline like, we're in a bubble. Oh my gosh, we're falling off a cliff. And um, just put that aside. Please understand that most of the people writing about real estate are under 30. They don't own, nor do they write about real estate. They're looking for clickbait. And what's really important for them is to write headlines that get a lot of views. It has nothing to do with what's really going on in the market. The truth of the matter is, yes, foreclosures are increasing, but those are probably foreclosures that should have happened before the pandemic. And now that we can finally have a normal market a little bit, that we're catching up a little bit. Think about last year, we increased in equity 20% across the country in one year. Is this an REO? Is it a, is a foreclosure, a sword shell? No, death, disease, divorce is always happening. If you can't hold on to your home, it's just a forced sale. <laughs> That's it. They're probably gonna be made hold at court at the sheriff's sale or a trustee sale, whatever, but you know, 
it, it is what it is. So no, I don't expect a huge wave of foreclosure. There's so many things that are not in place like last time. Um, if you need proof, go to a local builder, ask to be put on their wait list and how long they're waiting. Their build the suit has worked really well for them, but now they just don't have the inventory. They can't keep up. We took a buildcation. We didn't build for a, over a decade. So we're building in Florida right now to flip uh, and we're in the $600,000 uh, category. And uh, our, I think the last one that we had come up had 11 offers, 10 of them all cash. Every time a wave of COVID hits, you've got these people that are coming in down from the Northeast because I follow all the demographic data. Um, I'm in a, a market that I feel very comfortable with. I'm very conservative. We're buying and building stuff to flip and building the hold. And it's a very specific category of property. And it's where the majority of these people want to move. So that's what I'm going to do. Um, I do think different categories of prices can have a very different experience. Now would not be the time because I'm conservative that I'm interested in $5 million flips that are going to take over a year. Construction is very um, dangerous right now because of supply chain disruption. I think this is the year we're going to see wage increases across the board as inflation has really uh, hit us pretty hard. Um, so if you're in building, um, just, just be aware, just make sure you build in lots of extra time. I mean, windows and appliances were taking us 10 months. It still might be. So it's just really hard. Um, I happen to live in Riverside, California, which is inland of LA, San Diego, and um, Orange County. We're getting a lot of demand from the coast because people are just looking for affordable and their companies have decided there's gonna be a hybrid model for work and all of a sudden they're looking at the Inland Empire, wait a second, I can spend what I am in rent in the LA market, move inland and have a life. So I don't even pay attention. State data is helpful on some, to some extent, but I go really micro. Um, I beat the, the media up a lot about this as I think you have to. When we're talking about national data with like Wall Street, total waste of time. If I hear one more Wall Street company say they're 2% of anything, I wanna scream. No, you're not. You're not in every market. You're not in every price category. It's false. <laughs> you're in the Sun Belt under uh, $500,000, so you're much more uh, in those markets. So same with iBuyers, the stuff that they buy, we just have a lot of different competitions. So anyway, I know where we're going. I'm going off on a tangent. Um, I don't expect, I think increases in interest rates are going to happen. I'm in the middle of two refinances right now. Today I got quoted at 6%, and that's up over a percent in a month that I've been in closing, um, which is a bummer. Um, will it affect buyers? Sure. We can slow down a little bit. Do I think prices are going to get hammered? No. I just still think we have a lot of demand and there's plenty of markets that aren't on fire hot that make a lot of sense. And millennials want to get off the parents' couch. They actually want to own. Um, and they want a home to be someplace where they can live, work, play, educate. They're, what we're wanting from our home is very different than three years ago. Yeah, I, I've got some... Uh I got some friends that are not millennials that are still on their couch, their parents' couch. So I, I don't know how that's possible. So some Gen X parent couches still. Um, hey, you, you, so you talked about building and the hiatus. So I was, t I was doing an interview with that, the lender. Um, his name's Alex. It was, he's talked about um, 4 million people that need housing and per year. And the craziest number that he saw like ever that we built was 2 million houses. So like the deficit just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So, um, you know, for, and I also, I did a, I did a YouTube video recently on 
I, I, I don't know if you saw the headline. I'm sure you did, but the National Association of Realtors, and it got picked up by Forbes and all these other companies, but said the drop in home sales from January to February is 7.2%. So I looked at that headline. Everybody was sharing it. They're like, finally, the houses are going to be more affordable for me. And I went into the data charts, and what I found in the, like, I just looked at metro markets in like some of Redfin's data's data, and I saw that it actually increased from January to February of 5.5%, 5.25% in the metros across the country. And then I also saw that inventory was down like three and a quarter percent from January to February. So not only do we have less houses that could be sold, more got sold, but the headline still said 7.2% decrease. So exactly what you said, like the clickbait that's out there is very much like just one data point, right? It's just one piece of data that they're making a headline from. And so what would you say like we should be looking at? Like what kind of charts, what kind of data, what kind of numbers? And I know you said like hyper-local. I totally agree with that. But if I'm looking at my local market or even metros or national, like what are some of the things that you would look at to analyze a market and, and see what's coming up? Well, um, one of the ways that I dissect the competition in any market, so I I was teaching with Property Radar at a lot of different clubs nationally, and it was very fun because I didn't know these these RIAs, uh, their markets at all. I'm all, you can say that I'm wrong, but this is how I would approach a market. And there's two things, uh, competitive uh, competition I look at. I look at iBuyers, what they're buying in the market, which is typically first-time buyer. Um, it's a newer buy box, so it's typically 1980 and older. It's a 3-2. Um, 1,500 or 2,000 square feet. You know, it's very specific. And then I look at what the Main Street is flipping. W- what are you focused on? Main Street flippers typically focused on first a single family um, that are also, uh, you know, three, two, similar square footage, but they're not afraid to tackle the, the older stuff. Um, so I can... I identify the areas. I don't have to recreate the wheel that way. I can see exactly what they're doing. So I can make a decision. Do I want to replicate and jump into this competition? Both of those, the Main Street and Wall Street buyers. Do I want to sell them what they're looking for? Or do I want to create a new category? Do I want to build accessory dwelling units? Do I want to build a ground up construction? Do I want to lot split and do, you know, creative things? Um, It just, you just need to make a decision, but that's what I would do. I would do some market analysis because a lot of the time uh, your competitors are leaving clues. Why recreate the wheel when you don't have to? So I really like that. Uh, I remember when I got started, I was like, I, I said, there's no possible way that I'm marketing in a certain zip code. I may have told the story to you or other people before, but there's a zip code in Pensacola that I was like, I will never buy a house there. I will never flip there. I don't want to do business there. But there's so many like landlords that were buying there. And I was marketing. I eventually became a wholesaler. And I, what I realized was I was complaining that people were paying more than me for houses. So I was a flipper. And I, all I was doing was bad mouthing everybody. I was like, I can't get a deal because I can't pay enough. So what I did was I just kind of flipped the script and said, well, if they're paying more, can I take advantage of this? Because any house that I would buy as a flip, I could sell to them for more because I'm buying it for less or I could do it myself. So I said, well, if you can't beat them, join them. Let me figure out how to be a wholesaler. And I accepted that fact. And then I marketed everywhere except for this zip code because I was like, there will never be anything in there. Um, I make half of the money that I make make in our company in that city in that one zip code that i said i'd never go to 
and we wholesale, <laughs> half of the houses that we wholesale are in that zip code. I wouldn't buy them. They're they're rental properties. They're mostly landlords, um, landlords that are looking for a, a different class of people uh, and tenants and, and and huge cash flow. Right? They're buying cash. They're having massive cash flow. Maybe they're buying for like thirty or forty thousand dollars and renting for eight hundred, nine hundred dollars, thousand dollars, and it, it, they're just great numbers in that area, right? But they're getting they're they're having to deal with a lot of the problems, and so. So I finally accepted the fact that, I guess to wrap that up, like what that taught me was that if I can go look at what other people are doing, and now when I teach, like go look at the zip codes that other people are flipping in, go look at the zip codes that other people are, are, are renting houses in, and don't say, oh, it's too saturated over there, I'm going to go somewhere else. Like that's where the supply is and that's where the demand is. They're there for a yeah. reason. Like you're trying exactly. to create this own, your own little pond over here that that might not have any stocked fish in it when you have a perfectly stocked lake right over there in that zip code. Like go over there and, and all and, and the other thing is all you need is one deal to get going in that zip code. Like all you need is one and then it can be two and then you if you own that, then you can move out from there. You said something in there though. You said, I, I might figure out if I want to do a, a new class. So maybe I want to build or maybe I want to do some ADUs or these other things like why would you do that versus go like kind of compete with some of these other folks in an area that might be uh, might have some opportunities in it and do what they're doing? Well, I'll give you iBuyers as an example. They're buying at rates that, you know, Main Street investors just can't because their goal is not to make money on the buy-sell transaction. They're making money on the closing. They're making money on the loan. Um, they've vertically integrated all the services, so they can do things that we can't. So, But they're doing the easy ones. They don't want people problems. They don't want property problems for the most part. So um, in, in California, I crack up. I'm actually meeting with the senator who wrote a proposal. You might have heard of AB 1771. Um, it's a 25% tax on flippers. And it, it drove, drives me absolutely bonkers because a lot of the iBuyer data is getting sucked up into Adam data. Anybody who's reporting on flipper data, iBuyers are showing up. And the problem with that is Zillow just went out of business. They said they lost over $200 million misbidding on these. The problem is that they're showing up at that higher number. Um, the way that they um, their numbers show up in the public record, it, it doesn't include the seller credits. Um, it's just, here's the number, it looks like full market value, and so it's compressing numbers across the board. It's wrong. So I've I've told them a couple years ago, I'm like, please, your data is being used against Main Street at this point. Um, and this it's become talking points for politicians. They just don't know any better. So it makes people like me have to go down there and explain this to them. <laughs> Wall Street for I'm here for Main Street, by the way. If you haven't picked that up, I, you know, real estate has changed my family's life. And um, it's I just really think that we play an important role in the market. Wall Street has a, a place, but uh, it, this drives me nuts. So you by staying out of the, you're not going to win that battle if you decide to get into that that market. But I do have investors that wholesale to them because they go after people problems. They go after the hoarder home, de-junk it, and then they flip it to an iBuyer. Um, let's see, I think it was Zillow. Yeah, Zillow came out and said they're spending $5,500 renovating a property before they resell it. What Main Street Flipper do you know only spends $5,500? Like in California, that's like a really good vacuum job and maybe some touch-up paint. <laughs> it's, it's just not, it's, they're not ready. Um, 
Wall Street institutional, you know, they're just buying under, it depends on which market they're in, but they're hot and heavy in the Sun Belt. Um, they're overpaying for first time buyer inventory and they're holding it as rentals. Um, they are willing to do a little bit of work. So unfortunately, Main Street, we gotta get good at repairs. Like right now, at this moment in history, it's, it's value add opportunity. The easy ones, Wall Street are tackling pretty hard. Yep, I like the fact that you said um, they're making money on the buy, the sell, the transactional, all that stuff. And I wrote down on my notes, like, are they really making money? <laughs> because uh, no, I, none I, of them are making money. <laughs> that's exactly right. Like that—that—that's what we can only assume is their model. I'm still trying to figure that out. Like, I'm still trying to crack the code. Um, the one thing that I, I know that we talked about it at the event that we we were at in January. I, I really love. Like a lot of people are bashing the iBuyers. They came in the market. What I really love that they, they've done for us is they've really made it like almost okay. And they're paying to market and educate the consumer right now on what we do. So in, instead of looking at it the, the way that I looked at things before of they're paying more than me and I'm throwing stones, I'm really looking at that like how can I, how can I like draft off of them potentially for what we do? And a lot of that is, well, now it's actually okay to sell to some of these companies. There's radio ads and TV ads and all this stuff. To, they're paying millions and hundreds of millions of dollars to educate our customers. And I'm like, great. Well, hey, yep. this is what we do. And then just like you said, the other thing that we're doing is if we find a really good deal off market, we might be buying it and selling it to them. Like we actually uh -huh. might like close on it and flip it to them. And we've done that a few times and it's been great. I mean, I can input the information and find out what they would pay, do some math to put in buyer credits and repairs and all the stuff that we know that they're going to, they're going to negotiate down on after. And then our, already know the buy price. And now we can go, um, we can go figure out how to negotiate with the seller at the right fit and almost reverse wholesale a deal um, that way. Mm. So there's a lot of things that you can do if you understand um, how to play the game. And I yep. think that's, that's what I hear from you at least is, is find your niche, uh, figure out how to own it. And then, and, and then I think, I think the superpower that we all have then is when do we shift to the next thing? So I think that's what a lot of people right now are feeling like they're, they're like, I've been doing this for years. I'm good at it. I'm successful. Now I'm, I fear this change that I'm going to have to do of my business model might not work again or anymore. And, and then when do I make that shift and pivot? How would you answer that? Like, what, what do you say to those people that are like, hey, look, I've been a flipper for the last eight years. I've been making a ton of money and everybody else is saying that I'm only making money because the market's going up. Like, how do we then shift maybe to what's the next, like, what should I be looking for to do my next thing? There's probably a lot of people in that situation. Yeah, if you're building in price appreciation into your offers, that's probably, a, I would not do that at this point. It's just, it's dangerous. A deal needs to stand on its own two feet from the get go or forget about it. I'm not into playing those games. Uh, think about it too. Like when it comes to people being really scared and sitting on the sidelines because they're afraid of a wave of foreclosures. Think about 2008. We figured out how to keep people in their homes when prices dropped in half. We've got the playbook. We know it worked. We probably just weren't as fast enough to the punch. Um, interest rates were six to eight percent at the time, by the way. Um, could interest rates go backwards? Yeah, sure. If we hit a recession, that's one of the very first things that the Fed will do is probably rewind rates. We could end up with another two percent mortgage rate. You know, I 
this administration, I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat, um, so much wealth is tied up in real estate right now. Um, the stock market isn't doing as well as it was at one point. So I don't know. I just have a hard time thinking that the Fed is going to allow real estate to free fall, um, even trying to fight inflation. So um, deals need to stand on their own two feet. I'd be wary of uh, being in the wrong category, uh, risky category. Like if you're in the million dollar plus range price increases in the jumbo market, I would be uncomfortable with. Um, that could definitely mess with things. Um, being at a war that's um, causing international turmoil, I, I don't know in other places. In California, a lot of um, high-end real estate is international. Um, it's, a, it's a target for interna international buyers, so it would just make me more nervous, that's all. But there's plenty of opportunity. They just uh, they just need to pencil and stand on their own two feet. Yeah, uh, I, think, I think for anybody that's it's interesting when I look back, I, st I still go back to the conversation of when um, when the election was happening, when, when Trump went before Trump got elected. So this is now what, like six years ago. I remember talking to a guy who was on my my buyers list and he was buying a bunch of properties and he was looking at one. And he goes, you know what? I'm 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 not buying until after this election because I don't know what's going to happen. I'm concerned about the market. And he like sat on the sidelines for like a year. And I have no idea if this guy ever came back in or after Trump was elected, he's like, I'm, I'm definitely not buying. Or, and he's like, okay, I'm gonna start buying again. But I, I see people wait all the time. And the waiting and the uncertainty just causes so much opportunity lost of getting in and getting going. So it doesn't matter if it's an up market or a down market. Like if you can find your niche and, and, and work on the, the fundamentals. And the, the interesting thing about flippers is we're in and out of these properties fairly quickly if you're any if you're decent at what you do. So like you said, if you're building an appreciation, you're, you're gonna get bit at some point. But if you're looking at it and you've built in enough, I think the thing that, the problem was that we had the last time we had a, well, very different fundamentals of the market when it crashed last time, but nobody was willing to sell their property on a fire sale at that point. They still wanted, they were like, this is, they didn't believe that it was happening. And, and so when I looked at the data, it's not like you, I mean, for sure, 50% price reduction, but that wasn't in a month. No. It was like one and a half to 2% in, in some of the crazy places per month. And sometimes yeah, we, So like- We were, my brother was um, buying a trusty sale all the way through the downturn, by the way. Yeah. He, was, he was calculating a 3% price damage every month in, in the amount of time that he would hold it. And he was still able to make a living. So there's, there's deals in every market. You just have to get really good at your niche and make the numbers work. Now, one of the things right now is inventory on the market. I know in California, countywide, there's very few counties with more than 2%, uh, sorry, two months of inventory. If you get into the first time buyer stuff, it's even faster. Faster. The stuff is the the rate that is closing all cash. When I'm talking about selling something for 600 grand in Southwest Florida, and 10 of the offers are cash, those people don't care what the interest rates are doing. <laughs> They're not there for that. So it's really pay attention to your local metrics, divide it even further into your specific price category, and study it for a while. What did it, what did this price category, the first time buyer stuff, do during the downturn? How did it react? How did this market react? Um, um, how many uh, offers are coming in every time something's listed that's in decent shape? Um, now's not the time to over-improve. This is another thing to, if you're going into new markets because you're getting pushed out of maybe one that you live in, 
pay attention to the local flippers. Maybe you don't need to rehab as much right now. Maybe you don't need to do the HDTV rehab. <laughs> Maybe you can get away with an eye buyer, like just really good carpet vacuuming lines. I don't know. <laughs> you know, you, you said something that the $600,000 cash buyer down in Florida um, doesn't care about the interest rates. I, I, I immediately wrote down like, I think they, they, they probably do care about the interest rates only because now they're parking their money there because the interest rates are going up. We're seeing inflation happen. We're seeing all this stuff happen. It's very interesting to see how they feel about money. Um, and so like, I, I, I truly feel like people are starting to think about where they're putting their money and starting to part, put it in real estate specifically for a reason because of the inflation. So I, I don't know, what do you think about that? Like are people yeah. starting to pull their money out of uh, Wall Street, stock market, stuff like that, and start saying, hey, real estate is a hedge against inflation. I see this happening. This is gonna, this is my the, sure. the path in the way. Yeah, I, I still talk, I'm one of the few people who still talks a lot about opportunity zones. And they're like, Aaron, why are you talking about opportunity zones? I'm all, because people are trying to get out of the stock market and crypto and into real estate. And it's still a completely viable option to do that. You can move any capital gains um, f into real estate via the opportunity zone. Um, real estate is an inflation adjusted asset. It's a basket of commodities, cement, wood, roofing you name it so yeah i i would agree with you a lot of people are caring like why am i paying rent when i can own something why am i you know paying somebody else's mortgage in new york city when i can work from home and have space and have access to the beach whenever i want um maybe have to go once a month every other month hey listen when you're able to save the kind of money that they're saving by moving to florida it buys a lot of first class tickets to new york uh, Chicago, New Jersey, <laughs> where the migration's coming in from uh, for Florida. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I look at, there's there's so much, if you can look at the holistic picture, like you said, you're very uh, focused on one area and people are coming from an area to an area, right? So we see this high demand um, in those areas. And you, so we, we talked to that, about that a little bit on the last show, uh, specifically about where you are and what that looks like. And for everybody, like, again, I want you to be able to think about your strategy, what you're going to do, and not just say, well, hey, Aaron said to do this, so I'm doing it. Or this is what this person's doing. The other thing is modeling, like, like we talked about. you got flippers in your area that are buying certain things. Um, I think it's, it make, it, if you can figure out what they're doing and why, then you might want to model that. Like I watch what um, Aaron and his dad Bruce are doing down in Florida, this build to rent. I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is... It's so smart. I should have been doing this 10 years ago and, and I should be doing it right now. But I'm not like, I, I am not in a point in my life where I can start up a business that is a build to rent business and I'm going to run it. I would love to, but I'm sitting here going, that's not my strong suit. I don't have the capacity to do it right now. What can I do in this marketplace right now? And how can I fit? Like, what skills do I have? What resources do I have? And how do I fit? And for me right now, it's it's, I don't have a lot of time, but I have money. So now how can I inject capital in this marketplace and make a return on it and help another flipper or another person build their business? So, and then I started saying, okay, well, I'm not doing these long-term loans anymore. I don't want to do a year, a year and a half loan anymore. So I'm going to do more transactional loans. I'm going to do shorter term loans. If you want to wholesale a deal, I can do a three month loan. Or if you want to do, if you need a double closing money, I can do one hour loan. I'll do it for you in one day. And so I shifted my, even my lending model recently to, and, and other, I just want to let some people behind the scenes because also in my personal life, 
I'm buying some other things, I have some plans, and I need to have capital and cash. So I don't want my money out there for long periods of time. I want it available to me when I need it. But until I need it, I want to be able to make more money on it. So whenever I look at an opportunity that comes up, I say, all right, what's it going to make me? And what other opportunities am I going to have to say no to if I say yes to this one? And so that's the thought process behind everything that I do and the decisions that I make. And so for you guys that are out there, like, what does it look like? Do you have a job? Do you not have a job? Do you, do you own a house? Do you rent a house? Do you, do you have the abilities? Do you have the skills? Have you flipped a house before? Have you not? Have you, like, are, are you good at sales? Are you good at negotiation? Are you good at project management? Like, where do you fit in the marketplace and what's the opportunity that presents itself because of that? Do you have money? Do you not have money? Do you have time? Do you not have time? Just like Aaron said. Um, I have a couple chapters of, of my book that talk just on that. Like, and you have, by the way, I hate to, hate to break it to you. And yes, I do sell some stuff, but you either have to have time or you have to have money. That's it. And if you have both, <laughs> yeah. even better, but you have to have one or the other because there's so many, there's people that will sell you uh, a story that you can do real estate without time, without money. You don't have to do anything. Um, it's just going to land in your bank account. And I hate to break it to you, but that's not, it's not really the case. Okay. Um, it's not the case. It's just not. So it's not, no, it's, I, it's not, I, I learned that I'm, I'm a buy and hold guy and I, I read John Schaub's book about, um, basically buy 10 houses, pay them off and you're done. I'm all, that's it. I don't have to be a, a world-class flipper like my dad. You know, I, I just learned that I love being a landlord. So I'm a collector and I found out who I was as an investor and that's all I've been focused on for the last decade and, and it worked. So yeah, just do you, nobody else is going to do you the way you do. You. Totally. And <laughs> I got, I got to 10 rental houses and then I sold them all because I'm, I'm not the landlord. Like I just, I'm not, it's just not my thing. And, and I, it was, it was a little bit too, there were some things in there that I didn't like. So I went and took all that money and put it into a business, bought this business, uh, put it into multifamily assets because I got a huge tax bill that I wanted to reduce greatly. And I figure I, I found that I could greatly reduce a tax bill and also be 100% passive. Like nobody ever calls me when I'm in somebody's syndication and I got somebody else running the whole thing. And so, yep. you know, there's a lot of different things that are going to change over time. So the, the interesting thing, we just did this class on, uh, on hiring and there was a, I, I think Tyler Jensen said, he's like, just start where your feet are. I think he said that at one of our, um, uh, flip hacking live events. And I was like, you know what, this is really special for these people because there's in, in, in my office, there were people of all different levels, different ages, different levels, wanted to start something. So people's got things running and it's just, and somebody was like, what do I like? I see like this huge accountability chart, all this stuff that you're doing. That's great. But like, what about us new people that are just getting started? I was like, just, just start where you are. Like, just, and you don't need to know five steps ahead. Like what's the next step for you? And, uh, and that's it. Like we're trying to, we're trying to predict a market like two, three years from now, it feels like. And everybody's talking about, a lot of people are talking about, you know what? I'm just gonna sit over here on the sidelines and wait for the market to crash. And then I'm going to jump in. Like, yeah, I think they're going to be, be they're going to look back and regret that decision. I think there's a way in. You just have to find it in your local market. And it's okay. Be comfortable where you're at. If you're one of those people who can't be more than two hours driving distance, that's okay. I, I meet people and they're like, oh, yeah, I, I invest all over Southern California. Do you? Do you? <laughs> Very few people do such a, a big area. It cracks me up. Um, 
Yeah, there's so many different types of real estate. There's multifamily, there's single family. Uh, in California, we're looking at accessory dwelling units. They're getting rid of single family zoning. There's a lot of things that Main Street is going to do that the state needs us to do that Wall Street can't do and that we really need. We need more housing. Um, and the only way we're going to do it is if they leverage the private sector. So what do you think, um, do you think we're going to go into a heavy recession after this, like what are coming up? What's the, what's the thoughts on that? Because I see like high inflation and a recession. It's very interesting combination that, um, that we haven't really seen before. I know. And I'm not smart enough to know. I'm just looking at the fundamentals and affordability keeps coming up in the conversations that I have. And I'm like, well, wages are part of that. And I look around at like the fast food places like you can't drive this down the street without a help wanted sign. And all of a sudden the people at the fast food restaurants here in California are making um, 20 bucks an hour. You're like, what? <laughs> at, at Taco Bell? Holy cow. Uh, um, that's going to put a lot of pressure on a lot of different jobs. So building in Florida, uh, we see that happening. Negotiating uh, price increases seem to be happening every month. So I... Uh, my dad, was, some of the data that he pulled is from the California um, Real Estate Research Council, Council of Southern California. They picked apart all the different building materials and what uh, inflation did to it during the 80s, um, including you know lumber, the prices of masons and whatnot. The interesting thing is after that inflationary period, number one, the question is, can you have price increases and interest rate increases at the same time? And the answer is yes. So that happened in the 80s. A lot of people are like, oh no, rates are going up at means that we have to crash no not true there is there is uh, examples in the history that you can have both engines go at the same time um i think my dad his famous story is he refinanced our house at 17 and a half percent to become a full-time investor we're so spoiled we're, we hear five percent now we're like oh no we're, we're it's terrible it's not lies um I think uh, wages are going to uh, pick up this year. That's what I'm expecting this year. If we have a recession, that could mean that the feds decide to lower rates. They did in 2017. That's the latest example. Like when the market started getting a little softer, like, never mind, just kidding. Let's lower rates again. Um, so I, I'm watching Ukraine quite a bit. I'm watching what China does because of Ukraine. That would be a little bit uncomfortable for those of us who are building and very reliant on um, supplies from the Asian markets. I don't like that. So I, I am waiting on that. But um, I don't know if inflation is going to last long term. I guess it depends on how long this war goes on. Um, I study a lot of international activities, and that's what I'm looking at right now. Awesome. Well, uh, Aaron, I appreciate all the information, man. I think I think we did a good job tonight today of of helping people think a little bit differently and using some of the data to make decisions and um, and kind of just start where their feet are, right? And um, what are you guys working on anything right now? Like what's going on in the Norris Group? Are you guys working on something to put out? You mentioned your dad. Your dad's probably just pulling data regularly, so are you. Like what's next for you guys? Um, he speaks a lot on the economy um, and motivation, and I speak a lot on opportunities in legislation right now. So I'm teaching a lot in California about SB9 and SB10, which were the state is regulating. We need so much housing inventory. There's some opportunity 
and part of my job is to get to the electeds in the media and let them know you aren't going to do this without the help of investors. Main Street. You need Main Street. So that's the torch that I'm carrying and then I'm trying to teach other investors it's time to show up. And my one of my favorite saying is when you're not at the table, you're on the table. And investors are really all over the place. We don't necessarily belong to our local association of realtors. We don't belong to builders. These people are the ones that get in front of our legislators who can't possibly know everything, and they're in charge of educating them with data. So you don't make it emotional. We got to get better at the data. So I, I'm working with AAPL and um, Think Realty, trying to get in front of different legislators with data, da very data-driven approach, and really get them excited about uh, the local real estate investor and the role that we can play. We've got experience. We've got the assets. We've got the access to private capital. They don't have to spend anything. They've just got to make it easy. <laughs> Instead of 25% flip on a net, a net tax on flipping if you own for less than three years. I don't know if you know this. It goes all the way to seven. Anytime you sell before seven years, you're taxed at some level. It's just, it doesn't make sense. And the only benefit, the only category of investor who will benefit from this is institutional Wall Street. Yep. It does nothing to them. I saw that come out. There's a lot of talk uh, with those folks about it, and it's it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Um, I'm, but I'm meeting with the guy who wrote that, so I have an opportunity to get in front of him. I'm like, here's the data. Here's the iBuyers in your market. Here's what they're doing, and here's why the data is wrong that you're being given. I talked to Adam Data. They're working on it. It's hard. A lot of these institutional players specifically buy in, in different entities every week, and so it's really difficult to track. Um, we just have to do better, a better job, but they're more than happy to try to you know, disappear behind <laughs> their entities. They don't want anybody to know what's going on. I was the one who leaked to Bloomberg News last year that iBuyers were shoveling an increasing percentage to institutional Wall Street players. So matter of fact, we caught one of them lying because <laughs> uh, I caught one of their entities and they're like, oh, no, 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 we're not. We're not doing that. I'm like, oh, really? Well, here's the addresses and here's the entity. It's under you own that, right? Oh, yeah, that's us. <laughs> so nice try. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I think that's that's the important piece that that we need to hit on is like looking at the data and really asking your question. So uh, we, we kind of start back to the beginning of the headlines that keep hitting is like, it, just do your own do your own research. Like, just go look at that stuff. Like, is that real or is it just like you said, clickbait? And really, that's what it is. It's one piece of data trying to define a um, a story. So it's it, typically the way um, most people go is they tell the story and then they justify it with data. Where I think we should do it the other way around. Like, we should take the data to and then to, to create the story. So I'm gonna. Grab the data. So there's certain things that I'm looking at, and I'll do. I'll probably do a show after this of what am I looking at? What are the things that? Because um, really, there's like um, just a couple a couple charts and a couple things that I'll watch for short term stuff. That's it. Like that's all I need to see, and that will alert me to hey, there's something here. You need to go look deeper, and then you can go deeper. <laughs> Yeah, I love demographic demands. That I mean, that's what the other data that I follow. I don't know. I don't think I've ever shown this to you. In order for you to go on the boot camp with us, you'd have a one-on-one -on -one with dad, and we review your portfolio. And then my job is to scare the crap out of you with a 200-page book. Every time I update this, it's thousands of dollars because it's got builder data, demographic data. Uh, it's every question that has ever come up before you're in a market that you should know. 
real estate data, demographic data, who's moving there and why are they sticky? What, what, uh, who's driving the jobs down there? Like, if you don't know that, you know, what are you doing in the area? I'm not in any areas uh, that are decreasing in population. I'm only in areas that are growing where I think there's going to be demand and I'm going in the stuff thinking that I'm going to hold the stuff for over 10 years. So it's not emotional. It's a long-term conservative play. So there you go. I love it. All right. How can uh, people find out more about you if they want to follow you guys at the Norris Group or reach out to you guys? How can they find out any more about you guys? Sure. TheNorrisGroup.com is our website. If you look us up on your favorite app for listening to podcasts, you're going to find the Norris Group Real Estate Podcast. We've been doing it since 07 every week. Um, I think we've missed one week since 07. We did it. We've been doing this before it was cool. (laughs) And then um, 2007. That's impressive. Uh, we have never stopped. And right now we're doing a series on um, accessory dwelling units um, today. Actually, I'm interviewing somebody who helps build them. Um, and I'm also interviewing somebody who does co-living. Um, she's a principal and it just makes me laugh. Um, I expect short term rentals become more of a challenge moving forward because of the affordable housing laws. Um, but I've been really shocked of the opportunity of co-living. Um, I have a property that I converted into a, a longer term, short term rental. So over 30 days, I did not think I had a $60,000 property on my hands. Um, not not what I was expecting at all. So leaving it furnished, doing a really nice job, attracting executives, uh, traveling nurses, things like that, um, renting out per room. So just trying to help investors figure out what next opportunities is there. If, if one gets taken away with short term rentals, there's other options. All right. Awesome. I, uh, I appreciate you taking the time. This is really an honor to get to know you guys, you and your dad. Uh, having your dad on a couple Thanks. of weeks ago was seriously, it was like, uh, I felt like I was interviewing a legend, which I was, and it was really cool. <laughs> and getting to know you better, it's been, it's been really fun to call you a friend and, and, and get to know you a lot better. And uh, if there's anything I do for you guys, please, uh, you know, don't hesitate to ask. Um, and then um, could you just quickly share some of the things that you're going through? Because I know we have just some amazing people that listen to this podcast and I want them to be praying for you on a regular basis. I appreciate that. Our community has been awesome. Um, uh, this has been about a year that we're taping this, that I started having some really bad symptoms and I had open heart surgery, uh, April of 20 at the end of April of 2021, thinking that it was something benign and come to find out I have a very rare form of sarcoma. Sarcomas are 1% of cancers. Um, and the kind that I have is a 1% of a 1%. So a true unicorn cancer that starts in your heart and it was metastatic when they found it. So it's very rare. It's very aggressive. So I've done open heart surgery. I've had very aggressive chemo um, and I've signed up for lots of clinical trials and I'm on chemo again and I start clinical trials. Um, I go in for a test, a biopsy this week to see if I qualify, but I've really learned a lot about being an advocate for yourself and health. Um, A lot of people aren't even alive by the time they discover what they have. I've only found four other people worldwide who are dealing with this right now. Um, so our community has been great very supportive. I've had to simplify life a little bit. I had to leave property radar. I can only handle the Norris group and health unfortunately is a, a part-time job right now, but I'm okay. I'm getting through it. Awesome. Yeah. You're, uh, you're a model to anybody out there and, um, I say a prayer for you on a regular basis. Um, we love you, man. I, and I know everybody <laughs> listening to this. Um, uh, 
please like join me and um and i know it helps like i'm telling you it helps and um and if you get to know aaron you reach out to him send him a message those kind of things like it's just amazing the kind of guy that he is and what he does for the community and even people he's never met before so uh thank you aaron uh for being on the show and uh you guys can find them at the norsgroup.com right norsgroup.com yep that's it we'll put in the show notes and uh, we'll see you guys on the next show see ya bye